Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly McMillan. Uh, Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for being here. We're going to spend the next hour talking with some really interesting guys. Uh, normally, I talk about everything related to firearms, but today we're going to we're going to variate um, deviate from that just a little bit and uh, talk to a good friend of mine uh, about fishing. Uh, Kevin Finley's joining me here. We've been friends for a long time, and uh, he's a pro bass fisherman. So I thought it'd be great to have him on the show and let him share a little bit of his experience. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Kel. I'm glad to be here. Oh, isn't that a great radio voice? That's cool. Yeah, not only is Kevin a fisherman, <laughs> he, he owns a couple of businesses, and he's been a model. So you guys are missing the best part of Kevin. He's, he's he, I, They tell me I have a face for radio, but he's definitely a photogenic guy. So, hey, I'm really happy to have you here, Kevin. You've been a good friend for a long time. We've known each other, I don't know, 15 years or so. Um, I can remember one of the very first things... You, um, you said to me that really, really made a difference to me. And it was during the time you'll remember, I'm not going to go into that, but I remember you saying, we're with you, Kelly. And, and just having Kevin Finley tell me that it made all the difference in the world. So, you know, that's kind of what I think about you and, and how I've always felt about you. So thanks for being here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, you know, what got you into to fishing, and 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 let's talk a little bit about your business as well. Hey, well, I appreciate that, Kel. But yeah, I do, I do remember that. I think it was more like twenty years ago, actually. That was a long time. Uh, you know, I, it, my dad was a, a fisherman and hunter. You know, I mean, and he he uh, back when I lived in Chicago, believe it or not. I mean. You hear guys hunting and fishing. You don't think of downtown Chicago, do you? But <laughs> well, not but, not animal hunting, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, no. <laughs> that's the truth. So uh, yeah, so you had to get out of Chicago back then uh, in the 1970s. You had to get out of Chicago in order to find any water that wasn't polluted. So he took me up to Wisconsin, and we went up there. And I remember, and we were really broke. I mean, we didn't have any money. Um, so we went up there to Wisconsin. I remember thinking about it for like a couple of months, you know, thinking that we were going to leave the city and go do this thing. You know, we didn't get to do much. You'd look forward to going to McDonald's once every, you know, few months. So he took me up there and we got skunked like bagel. We didn't catch a thing, you know, but I was hooked. I was hooked on fishing from then forward, you know. How old were you? Oh gosh, I was seven, maybe seven. You know, I want to interrupt you right here. I ask all, almost all of my guests, and, and those who listen to the show on a regular basis know that I like to know where they get started. And there's almost one thing that almost everybody has in common is when they talk about how they got into what they're doing, they started doing it with their dad. And that's that's one of the coolest things that, that I like about hearing people's stories because – you know, it shows us and and the millennials, hopefully they catch on to this, is that, you know, some of the best memories of your life happen with your kids oh. or as a kid happen with your parents. So, yeah. um, you know, and you need to be stay involved with your kids and get them into and even if it is dragging them along with what you like to do. Sometimes they catch on, sometimes they don't, but give them an opportunity to make that choice. So that's really cool that you had those first experiences with your dad. Yeah, it was really great. And, you know, my brother, it, we kind of would take different things away from it. For me, it was about the, 
the fishing. You know, it was about when I got there. For my brother, it was about the traveling. Like, so he became a uh, a writer for travel magazines, and he wrote a book and all this other stuff. So, and uh, and my dad was kind of halfway in between. Like, he wasn't like the tournament bass fisherman, you know. And, uh, but he wasn't, uh, you know, as, as into traveling as my brother was. So, but he did both, you know, and he, and he, you know, he, he got me into bird hunting and I, you know, I love to bird hunt. That's what, you know, that's kind of my side of hunting is I like bird hunting. I don't like big game hunting too much, but I love bird hunting and, you know, it's amazing what your parents, you know, they just rub off on you and, and you take the, you take the mantle from there, you know. I want to, I want to skip out of here for just a second and, and talk about a friend of ours. You were talking about parents and, um, having kids have their first experience. And, uh, I love Brian Linker. He's, he's a good friend and, and he's been a friend for a long time. And I know you and he were best buds, but he just recently in the last week posted two different photographs of his fiance. I think we can call her his fiance. I Cause think I, we can. I, think I think he think said can. he bought her a ring, right. but I don't know what that means right. anyway, but, but her, her boys and, for the first time in a, at least in a long time, they have a man in their life who was willing to take the time and take them out. They both had youth hunts, one shot an elk and one shot a deer. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of them, but I'm more proud of, of Brian for putting in the effort and, and getting two more boys excited and hooked on hunting because it's that's what it's going to take for us to be able to have the numbers that we'll need to fight the liberals who are constantly trying to take away our second amendment rights and, and our ability to hunt and the greenpeace people and all that stuff that we have to constantly be vigilant about keeping up our guard so thanks brian it's cool i really appreciate that and congratulations i knew you had a great time with that yeah you know i can't think of anybody better than brian i mean both of my kids love brian you know and they 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 uh you know when they see him they hug him like he's a brother you know i mean and uh you know brian's just a good guy i mean he gets into everything and he's he's helped me with so many different projects and different things we've done throughout the years oh my gosh the stuff i could tell you you know well, he's a great guy, and, and it just so happens that he was using the McMillan uh, 7 uh, I saw that. WSM uh, <laughs> I saw that. on both of those uh, hunts. So I'm sure he was thankful. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. So let's get back to you. Um, you, you hunted, you, I mean, you, you hunted birds and you, and you fished young with your, your family, uh, and then you, you moved out west. Yeah, and, you know, moving out west was, was a big thing for me and, and fishing, and uh so I moved out west, and my father always wanted me to be, be a tournament fisherman, you know. And so um, he would let me flood the backyard. You know, we moved to Phoenix, and um, and we didn't have a great boat at the time. We kind of had this fish ski boat, and then my father bought me my first boat when I was like 12 years old, you know. And I caught this big bass out of Lake Pleasant, and they and uh, the rangers were so amazed. The bass was like bigger than me. And so they let me in the lake for like a year for free, you know. So... Um, but my dad used to let me flood the backyard and throw sandals into the backyard. I mean, I think back, it was a lot of water, Kelly, you know, <laughs> I'd throw sandals. I cast my, my rod, you know, my, my, my hook out there and I'd hook these sandals and they were like fish. So it was just, um, and then, uh, you know, there's a lot of lakes around Phoenix. And so it provided this opportunity for me to kind of grow in that. And I started fishing a lot of tournaments when I was a teenager and then it kind of blossomed from there, you know. You know, you talked about your brother liking the travel part of it. Um, you know, early on in in my uh, adult life, 
I watched my dad lose his hobby. He was a, an avid bench press competitor, and he would travel around to matches all over the country. He'd go to Texas. He'd go to Louisiana. Uh, it didn't matter where the match was. He'd go. But about five years into this business, he stopped competing because it seemed like even going to a match w- became work because he was always having to talk about stocks and because that's where we started making bench rest stocks. So, so that was it, it cost him his his um, hobby, and I always wanted to make sure that I never had that happen. So I never really got real big into competitive shooting. But one time in San Diego, I, I went out on a half day boat out of. Um, um, Islandia sport fishing over by Mission right. Beach where we were staying at, with the family and my brother and I went out just on a lark we didn't catch a thing we laughed so hard that our stomachs were sore by the end of the day because every time we tried to cast with one of those open real bait casters we got a big bird's nest and we spent the next 15 <laughs> to 20 minutes trying to get it untangled that never stops by the way Kelly <laughs> it continues to go on you know it never fails when you're in a tournament or something you you know you cast it all day when you're not in a tournament first yeah. cast in the tournament you backlash <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, anybody who's ever had that experience knows exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. But we had so much fun, never even got a nibble because we were, you know, so inept at what we were doing. We went back the next day. And so I've been hooked on saltwater fishing ever since. And and you know, I've invited you to go on a, a bunch of trips and one of these days we'll get we'll make one happen. Uh, a friend of mine just asked me to go to um, Costa Rica. He works for NRA Publications and we run ads in there. So as a, a part of a, a benefit for the the companies that advertise with them, they take they take them fishing. And so this year we're going to to Costa Rica. And uh, man, the thing I hate about it is it, it's four days of travel for three days of fishing. Uh, yeah, and that's I'm, a long time. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if it's worth that. See, <laughs> it's not the travel. I'm all about the fishing and and what kind. Of, so I looked at the the fish reports and and it's on the calendar. It lists everything is great, and what's not great is good. So I thought, well. It's got to be worth the That's travel to bet. have three days of yeah. great fishing. So I, I'm excited about that. We're going to fish on the Pacific side. Yeah, that's a pretty good bet. I, I, I've i got to do some traveling this year, too. I've got uh, – I was going to go to the Central Bassmaster Opens this year, but I'm actually going to – I think I've kind of switched gears. I'm going to go to the Eastern Bassmaster Opens. So i got to fish Florida, New York. Um, I've got to fish uh, Tennessee and North Carolina. So – and I've got, uh, I think that New York one, probably in my RV, it's going to take me two, three days to get there. You know, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, people don't know what um, professional bass fishing is really like. And I have another friend who fishes in another circuit. Uh, he's from Idaho, and he fishes in that northern California, Idaho, Utah circuit there. And he had exactly the same kind of experiences during this last season that you did. And that is, you go to a lake you've never fished on before, they might give you one, two days to pre-fish it. And if you're like you, you have businesses to run, you can't just take off a couple weeks before and really get to know the lake. And that makes a difference in, in how successful you are at fishing. Oh, it is. And and it depends on the circuit. You know, some circuits, they'll give you four days. Some will give you six. Some will give you two. You know, the two uh, is, is a struggle for me. When I don't know a lake, to have two days out there, it's that's a that's a rough deal, but you know um, you got to put it together. No matter you know, no matter what circuit you have, there's going to be some type of rules, and you just got to put it together. So 
you know, and, and, and it's even straight across the board for everybody. But yeah, it is hard when you do that on a lake that you don't know. And this year, a few guys have taken my money on that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I, I'm going to get them back though, Cal. I'm going to get them back. So uh, a lake like, you know, like Bartlett or Pleasant or even um, Saguaro, where you fished a lot, you, you know, you rather, you usually go out there and you hardly ever get skunked. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I'm kind of known for being, because uh, I've always lived on kind of the northwest side, so I, I, I'm i kind of known for uh, being an authority on Lake Pleasant. Lake Pleasant. I, I, yeah, I fish it all the time. A lot of guys don't like to fish it because you got you, you to gotta know how to fish it. But I love the lake, and I've, you know, in the past, I've won a lot of money on the lake, and I've, I've, I've won money in boats on Bartlett, you know, and... Uh, and uh, I just, uh, but I lose interest, you know, Kelly. I, I, like, I can't just fish the same place all the time. Be honest with you, I would rather go out and travel across country and fish somewhere that I've never fished and get my hat handed to me than to just continue to fish on the same lake all the time. I just lose interest, you know. I want to conquer new things, go new places, uh, see, see new people, and, uh, you know, I want to always raise the bar. Let's talk about that. You you had sponsors. Um, Trap Technologies was your main sponsor. Um, they were really good to you, and you were really good to them. The, the one thing I can say about being an honorary sponsor, because you have always been really good at mentioning your sponsors and making sure to pay tribute to them, and everybody knows who your sponsors are, and you work really hard at that. Um, if if you were in this to make a living, it'd be a pretty tough living, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. if. And, you know, and that's the beauty of where I'm at in my life right now. In fact, I, a good friend of mine, me and Matt Shura, uh, and Matt is well-known. I mean, he's he's won some big stuff. He won the California Open. And this guy's been key in my in my, uh, in my my return to bass fishing. Um, he's just a great guy and a great angler. He, um, uh, We just talked about this yesterday. And, <clears throat> you know, um, um, you you've you've got to uh, you've got to look at where you're at and enjoy where you're at at that time because fishing is an up and down deal. Like I I can remember years in the past where I've had really great years and I've actually made money just on tournament winnings. But to consistently do that every year to make enough money to live on just on tournament winnings, you can't do it. You have to have the sponsorships as well. And if you don't have those, it'll never carry you through the hard times, you know. And there's a lot of guys who really like the thrill of, you know, uh, hey, I don't know where my next check's going to come from. And, I, you know, I might have to sell something to get home or whatever. And, hey, I, I respect those guys. I think that's amazing. I'm not that guy. Like, I like having the peace of mind to know that I'm going to go enjoy myself. I'm going to do the best I can do at a tournament. If I win, great. If I don't cash a check, uh, I'm going home to my wife and, you know, I can still pay the mortgage. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I struggle with telling people where we met, but I'm going to do it anyway because a lot of the people who know me know already. We met dancing. We, we both do West Coast Swing. Kevin's one of the, the best local dancers uh, at West Coast Swing. Was an advanced dancer when I, when I got into it and I was just a beginner. Um, I always loved watching you dance. And, and Back in the day when you were competing, and you stopped, you stopped a long time ago, but back in the day when you were competing, there was no money in it. Nobody talked about any money. No, no. Even the, 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 what we call the champions, which is the very top level professionals in, in our dance, weren't making any money. They were having to 
teach privates and do workshops and and work in a studio or own a studio in, in order to make a living in dance. It had nothing to do with the, the conventions. But now there's one, two, maybe three conventions a month around the country. And these people are traveling all over the world getting paid more money to teach West Coast Swing than they ever dreamed of making. I can remember when um, Tot and... Um, Jordan won 30 seconds of fame and won $25,000. That was the most money anybody had ever been paid in West Coast Swing. <laughs> and and now, you know, they can make 25 grand by going to one convention in Australia Paris, or so. Germany or wherever it might yeah, be. Yeah. So the, the game has changed, but I think it's in, it's changed the enjoyment for a lot of those people because back in the day, we could get dances with all the champions anytime we, we were on the dance floor. They were always out, always dancing. And now you never see them unless you're out there at like three o'clock in the morning for late night dancing. They don't really want to dance with anybody anymore yeah. like they used to because, I mean, it's just their job. I now. agree with you. And you know what, Kelly? It's so amazing because they they took it further than I ever did. And both my daughters, as you know, I mean, they're they're three times the dancer I ever was, which is always good. You always want your kids to be like that. Mm-hmm. But, um but that's why I quit. That's why I quit dancing was because uh, it be it be kind. I, I started seeing myself lose the enjoyment of what I was doing, and you know as well as I do. I mean, how many times have we been uh, down at the Elks Lodge when they would hold it? And and for your listeners, you know, they would the different clubs would hold their dances at different places, and then they held ours at the Elks Lodge for a while, and then we had different uh, bars and different things, and uh, and I mean. We had great times, you know. I, I mean, I just, I can't even uh, recall all the great times that we had dancing, you know. So I didn't want to lose that, and so I said, you know what, it's time to hang up my hat and and uh, not compete anymore in that. Yeah, one of the problems with uh, West Coast Swing, and, and we'll get back to fishing in a second, but one of the problems with West Coast Swing is we don't drink a lot. Right. When we go out to dance, uh, our dance is sophisticated enough and difficult enough that you know, two or three drinks makes a difference on whether the girl wants to drink with you or not. I mean, dance with you or not. So, so we, we don't spend any money. And unfortunately there was a time when we would go in early when most bars didn't have any customers anyway, and they would love to have us there, but that's kind of changed. And I'm not sure why it is. We just don't have the number of places to dance throughout the city that we used to have. And so we don't get as much time on the dance floor as we used to. Yeah. And, no, yeah. I agree. You're right. Um, I mean, and, and most dancers, not big drinkers, you know, as, as a group, you know, right. and, and so, um, you know, it's kind of hard to find some place to dance when you're not spending money. Yeah, alcohol does to uh, dancing what it does to making love, too. It always makes the guy think he's much better than he really is. <laughs> but the women will tell you for sure whether <laughs> whether you. you're, hey, that you was are not, or not. Yeah, that's not so good. That's <laughs> yeah. not so good. Yeah, the next time uh, you go to ask her to dance and she turns and walks the other way as fast as she can, you know, when you weren't that good. That's <laughs> yeah, for sure. not that good. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to fishing. You, uh, you know, you, you were... Sponsored by Mercury. Yep. And we mentioned, um, yeah, you um, you had great sponsors. And, and like I said, you always paid tribute to your sponsors. Going to be more difficult, difficult to replace Trap. I know that they, they're not going to be your sponsor next year. but Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, so Trap Technology is kind of funny because I've kind of gotten to be known for uh, Trap Technology. And they, call, they even call my Nitro the Trap Boat is what they call it. But, you know, we had a great relationship. Uh, they were uh, great to me, and and originally when Trap and I had signed on together, it was just going to be for one year. I was a little bit surprised that they went ahead and went for two. 
So, but they've got, um, you know, they, they've been buying up a lot of companies and doing different things and stuff. So they've got a lot going on. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I think it's a great thing. Uh, actually, I've, I've got my eyes sight on, on my eyes, uh, set on a few other things. And, uh, and, uh, and I think, uh, it really leaves room for somebody to come in that I think I'm going to be able to do a real good job for them. But yeah, I've got nitro and bass pro shops and mercury and, uh, and uh, I, I contribute to some charities uh, for every fish I weigh in tournaments and things like that. So um, I'm really, really blessed to have the sponsors that I do. It's been incredible. It really has. So you have a couple of companies. Tell me about them. Um, I've got, uh, well, it's actually one company now, but it used to be uh, two. Um, so I had a welding company and another company that was an automatic gates company. I kind of merged the two. It was always welding and then came up with this banner gate systems. And then I merged them and it's signature gate systems and welding company now. So, um, you know, it's really been terrific uh, for me and my family. It would built that thing up from, man, I remember Kelly not even being able to pay the bills every month. I remember, I actually remember Kelly rolling pennies to get, I, I would, I would ride my bicycle down to roll pennies to buy enough gas for my truck to get to a job site just to ask if they had any welding for me to do. That's how I started out. So, you know, I, I want the millennials and the younger people in this audience to listen to that because uh, back in our day, man, I went out the first job I got, I went out on foot and I knocked on every door in the neighborhood asking, you know, I was 15 years old. I said, I'm looking for a job. Do you have anything for me? And, you know, I don't think that the kids want to do that now. They want someone to come to them and say, well, I'll pay you to do this and, you know, make it easy. But when we grew up, it was, if you wanted to have anything, you had to be willing to work for it. And it wasn't always easy. No. Yeah. I mean, you're right. And, but you know what, um, would you take back anything difficult that you've done that you've ended up succeeding at? No, I wouldn't. You know, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's, um, uh, it's been incredible for me as a person. And I think it's kind of brought me where I am today. And I, um, so I look back at those hard times and I, I don't want to go through them again, Kel. <laughs> I, guess I, I don't want to watch the power get turned off in my house and everything go bad in the refrigerator. I don't want that to happen. But, uh, you know, today it, we have a booming company and, uh, and it's great. I mean, while I'm sitting here, I have most incredible employees and they're running everything while we're sitting here talking. Which is, uh, I think, a, a testament to how well you do as a business owner and an entrepreneur, people don't understand that just because you have a skill or can do something, you know, there are lots of really good welders out there that could probably weld any job that you've ever done, but that doesn't mean they can run a business. And that doesn't mean that they know how to be successful. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny you say that because I say that all the time. Um, people say, Oh man, you must, you know, you must be the greatest welder in the world. I'm like, look, I, 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 I'm not naive enough to know that there isn't somebody who is uh, who is just as good or better at things. Heck, I have uh, I've had a couple of guys who work for me. Actually, they're they're better than me at doing a few things. In fact, I'm glad they work for me. Um, but it's it, it is it's a it's about there's a whole you know there's a whole realm of responsibility that goes with that, and you've got to be able to run the company, and that means you've got to be a people person. You got to talk to people. You have to be good at relationships, and you know there's a lot to it. 
Yeah, um, we've got just a couple of minutes left, and, and I'm going to ask you to stick around if, if you've got the time, since you're here in the studio. Love to have you sit through uh, with our next couple of guests. Uh, we've got our uh, collegiate spotlight that we're going to do as soon as we take a break. But uh, I, I just wanted to thank you for coming in. It, it's been awesome having you here. Um, we didn't get to talk as much about fishing as I would like, but you know, it seems to go that way. The, the conversation goes where it needs to go. And, and I think that our listeners enjoy hearing the, the human side of, of our guests. And I think that's really cool. I appreciate you being in here. Well, I really appreciate it, Kellen. Yeah. When I posted my stuff on social media, they said, what are you going to talk about? I go fishing, hunting and whatever. <laughs> so I appreciate you, Kelly. Yeah. yeah. I'm going I'm to hang around. Okay. So I'm going to ask all of, uh, you listeners out there to stick around while we take a short commercial break. for exciting video content live and on demand visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else that's voiceamerica.tv tune in now for over 40 years mcmillan usa has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry the company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form function and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks from tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, McMillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the McMillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at McMillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit McMillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit McMillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Hey, thanks for sticking around, everybody. Glad to have you here. Uh, We're going to do our collegiate spotlight next. Uh, We have Alan Joseph from Moorhead State. Alan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. You know, what we'd like to do is kind of give all of our listeners an opportunity to get to know Moorhead State shooting program a little bit better, what kind of uh, shooting y- you have, um, whether your your teams are co-ed, and um, w- what kind of experiences Moorhead State's had in, in uh, competition uh, recently. Um, we're located in East Kentucky, and uh, we're an NCAA um, rifle program. We're currently ranked 17th in the country. Um, it is um, equal sport. Rifle is the only NCAA sport equal for men and women. And I have 13 members on my team. Seven are women and six are men. 
You know, I always make a point that this is the the one sport that I can think of, if there's any others I can't think of them, that women can compete equally with men and do extremely well. There have been a lot of national champions. As a matter of fact, the current um, small bore and high power national silhouette champion is a, is a woman and she's won it like the last nine or ten times. So, um, yeah, women can compete against men in this sport for sure. Um, absolutely. Um, I think it all stems back, so I have some history, um, all the way back to 1984 um, when Pat Spurgeon won a gold medal in the Los Angeles Olympic Games in women's air rifle. She was a um, same age as Jenny Thrasher was in 2016. She had finished her freshman year um, in college, um, made the U.S. Olympic team, and um, won the gold medal in that very first event um, in 1984. And around that time, um, and, and that was groundbreaking for um, a lady, uh, U.S. and on our own soil to win that gold medal. It then made it, I think, the sport more open to young ladies that, hey, I, 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 my dad's been wanting me to go to the gun club with them. I, I think I will. And ever since that time, uh, more and more and more young ladies have entered the sport. Um, when I was shooting in the 1970s in college, there weren't anywhere near the number of, of women in the sport that there are today. And, and now it's half, or at least half. Well, that's good to know because women need an opportunity and, and anybody who's in the firearms business is always trying to get more women involved in the shooting sport. So it's really great that they can compete on an equal basis with guys and win. Uh, you know, it, it serves a lot of purposes and it shows that, you know, not all sports are a test of strength and speed. Um, you talked about the, the Olympics. So you shoot both air rifle and small bore? Three position? Yes, we do. Yeah, okay. Yes, we so do. The, that's uh, the that's the Olympic sports, and I wanted to make sure because some of the teams just don't have an air rifle range or whatever. So uh, you have both disciplines, and it's important that the kids out there know that if they want to go to Moorhead State, they've got a couple opportunities. Now, do your better shooters shoot both disciplines, or do you have people that are that are specialists in air rifle and specialists in small bore? Um, all of my athletes shoot both disciplines. But some of them naturally are just a little better at one of the two than the other. And in my starting lineup, um, we have five that we list for small bore, five that we list in a match for air rifle. And they can be a different mix of people on each, on each event. So um, it doesn't have to be the same five. And, and, and so um, then their strengths come out, and if they're better at one gun or the other, uh, they might just be a starter on one of the two events. Your very best shooters all across the country are going to excel in both guns and will probably be starters in both guns um, at the college level as well. So do you think that it would be safe to say that anybody shooting small bore now that wants to compete on the collegiate level probably needs to pick up an air rifle and start shooting air rifle as well? Or is the standing position, because that's what you shoot air rifle in, is that just a natural crossover once they get to college? If they've never shot an air rifle, they seem to just pick it up? Um, most of the shooters today are uh, come in the door 
uh, skilled in both. They, they might be stronger at one, but they're going to be strong, um, skilled at both and, and most likely own both of the guns. Um, very few only have one or, or have only been exposed to one of the disciplines in high school if they're going to come in at our level in college. Now, there are, there are club programs and that, that, um, that don't require um, the amount of skill that, that I do, but I have grant and aids to offer um, student-athletes, and when you're ranked in the top 20, um, you are looking as a coach for um, student-athletes skilled in both guns. So you said grant and aids. Is, is that synonymous with scholarships, or is that something different? Um, it is. Um, officially, um, just by definition, scholarships are awarded for academic merit, and a grant and aid is offered for athletic merit, but many people just call it an athletic scholarship. It's the same, one and the same. Okay. Good to know. So if the kids out there that, that want to shoot in college and they want to consider more head state, there's opportunity for them to get a portion of their education paid for if they qualify. How do uh, they go about how do they go about getting recruited? Uh, do, can they contact the school, contact you directly and say, hey, look, I think I'll qualify for your school. I'd like for you to, to take a look or you know, is there a way for them to let you know that they're out there? Um, yes. In, in the sport of rifle, um, most of the initial contact is made by the student. And they normally will reach out to the coach or a coach at a school that they're interested in. Normally, it'll start by an email. And then um, the dialogue will continue depending on their level of interest. You may happen to have a particular academic area that they're interested in, and then that's drawing them um, um, to your school. It might be uh, student-athletes that you presently have, um, they're already familiar with, um, and then, um, then the coach takes it from there, uh, the rest of the recruitment process. But normally the student will, the high school student will first um, reach out usually by an email uh, indicating their interest. Uh, you want to give out that email, or do you just want to send them directly to the website? Um, it doesn't matter. E- either way, they'll find me. Um, okay. The, the, the students today are quite savvy with um, um, websites and emails. Okay, so what's the, the Moorhead State website? Um, ours is www.msu eagles.com and that's our athletic website great and and they can they can find out how to get in touch with you through the website yes they can there's direct click the rifle and then actually to head coach well alan uh, congratulations on your previous success and thanks for being on the show really thank you for sharing that information and and hope we can send some shooters your way thank you very much i appreciate it Okay, thanks. And uh, yeah, re- really interesting how it almost always gets brought up in every collegiate spotlight that women can compete on an equal basis with men. And, and I, I find that really cool, and I'm, I'm glad to put that out there each week. Uh, we're going to get on to our next guest, and I'm really excited about this. Um, 
you know, I've I've known Jim for a long time. Uh, we, you know, his name is synonymous with Benchrest, just like McMillan is. So, um, you know, I I want to get to know a little bit more about how he got into Benchrest. And today we've got Jim Borden uh, with Borden Actions. That's what everybody knows him uh, for mostly. But he's in just about every aspect of uh, rifle building and in competition. Jim, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Kelly. Appreciate it. You know, was your dad involved in the business? Uh, no, I was involved in my dad and my grandfather's business. And then, um, you know, I went off to college, left the business, kind of disappointed both of them. And, but like Grandpa said, is a few years later, went full circle and I was back in with my own business. And dad kind of hung around here and helped helped some, but was never officially in it. Okay, so I guess my question was leading to, I can remember when I first started working with my dad in 1975, uh, it seemed like I was hearing the Borden name at that time, but you're not as old as I am, and I know how young I was then. So, so well, I'm I don't trying. know about that, Tilly. I might be a little older than you are. <laughs> well, I'm 63, and I think uh, I saw. Well, almost 67. Okay, okay, okay. So it, maybe it was you. You were you. When did you officially start I your business? I was a competitor in the early 70s with uh, uh, shooting NRA silhouette. Uh, my dad had competed some in Benchrest in the 1960s and early 70s. Okay, uh, well, so I'm not dreaming. I was hearing the Borden name yeah, way back. Yeah, you were probably, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So when you started your business, what what was your goal? What, what did you want to accomplish? Well, um, it was kind of one of those businesses I slid into. Kelly, I was working at, Procter and Gamble as an engineer and competing uh, silhouettes, and then in '77 or '78 started shooting bench rest. And um, uh, since I had worked with doing guns with my grandfather and dad and and their business, I knew quite a bit about them, and I had my own ideas on how a gun ought to be built, and nobody wanted to build one the way I wanted to build. Um, a lot of good builders out there, and everybody just seemed to want to do what had always been done. You know, well, that's how you, your dad got started. Everybody would always use wood. Why would we want to use anything else? You know what I mean, Kelly? It, it was, and I had some different ideas, so I started doing with the encouragement of Jack Sutton and P.J. Hart, started doing some of my own stuff and started winning. And then people were, hey, Jim, will you put on a barrel for me? Will you true up my action? Will you whatever? And I, so I kind of slid into the business and was doing it part-time at P&G until it just came to a point where I decided I had to focus on um, one or the other and my wife and I decided that this this go build the the best guns that we can build, and so that that's where we did you stop shooting and, competitively, and then that rolled into making our eventually rolled into making our own receivers to mm-hmm. to build those guns. Uh, did you stop shooting competitively? 
Uh, roughly two years ago, yes. It, oh, okay. It, yep. It, uh, I've always enjoyed it immensely. Um, spent 30-some years, well, yeah, th- yeah, from 78 through about two years ago, uh, doing it, you know, from April till October, and then may- maybe go to um, Phoenix for the cactus in March or whatever, so we spent one heck of a lot of time at the rifle ranges. and. Mm-hmm. The and reason then what I ask is, to us is you know, working in the business five days a week, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, and then go to a match. The still fun, but it's still you know we needed some kind of a we needed to break our lives up a little bit and have a little different avocation for um, the hobby. And, yeah, uh, uh, the reason I asked that is because it, it wasn't but about five years into it until my dad got to the point where he quit competing because every time he'd go to a match, he did more work than he did shooting, and it just oh, didn't yep. seem to be that much fun. <laughs> yep. yep. Hey, Jim, will you take a look at my gun? Hey, Jim, I've got such and such an action over here. Will you will you look it over for me here in between relays or tonight instead of going to dinner? Could you tear my gun apart? You know, yeah. It, which was all enjoyable, and you want to help people out, but it just it it became work um, at a thing you were trying to have fun at. When did you design your first action? Uh, oh, gee, and uh, Bob Adamovich and I uh, in the uh, late seventies, seventy nine or eighty. Bob worked for Bird Machine. I worked for Procter & Gamble. We shot together. We didn't understand what each other did for a living. We just shot together, had fun. And then one day at the the plant, uh, at P&G plant, I ran the engineering department. Uh, they called and said, gee, there's a guy up here that wants to talk to you about uh, filters for the pulp mill. And I went up, went through the door, and there stood Bob. And... Uh, So he made routine trips there, and the two of us just weren't satisfied with regular production actions. Like a lot of people at the time were using the sleeve 700s, and so Bob and I sat down together and and uh, uh, figured out how to, you know, put the bumps on the bolts and push the firing pins and do the ignition timing and. We rebuilt lots of and lots and lots of 700s and 600s and Model 7s and and then some of the other custom actions were out there. We modified some for what I wanted to make them do, and it just finally came to the point sometime in the 90s that I decided that hey, I need to make make them myself, and for a while I had subcontracted that to another outfit, but that didn't work out the way I wanted it to, so we we started making them in-house June 2001. Man, I would have bet that it was a lot earlier than that. Yeah, well, I I had done some body manual, made some actions and modified actions and made bolts, you know, through the 1980s and the 1990s, made parts for them and put them and uh, 
and actually made an action body, but it was kind of an oversized uh, Remington 700 kind of thing, single shot, well, a 40X style action, you know? Well, I remember there was a time, and, and I thought, oh, man, Jim Borden, what an entrepreneur. You know, back in the early days, there was uh, Lee Six and Chet Brown. They actually started the fiberglass gun uh, stock business shortly before my dad got involved. And uh, they made a few stocks. My dad built, bought a couple and, and built some guns on them. And, you know, after his uh, stint at helping get my uncle in the barrel business and then finding his toolbox on the on the front porch once they got <laughs> the, the, the first barrel made. He, he needed to find another way to make a living, and so he thought, well, you know, these stocks were pretty rough. I think I can do a better job. So he started in the fiberglass stock business. He had been working for Motorola in the mold as a mold tech, so he had some, you know, ideas about how to make molds and stuff, so uh, it wasn't that big a stretch, but there were for for the longest time just the three of us and then about the early 80s when we started getting some more recognition uh, early we we started off making stocks for Weatherby then Remington came on board then uh, US repeating arms and i think some other people out there said man there's got to be some money in this business so at at that time in the mid 80s we had several other people get into the synthetic stock business the fiberglass stock business and um you ended up buying one of those companies, didn't you? Yeah, yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, boy, here's some consolidation in the firearms industry, something we had never even heard of because nobody was buying anything. If you couldn't make it yourself, I mean, it sure as heck wouldn't pay to buy something. But that uh, that gave you an opportunity to, to have control over the product from the rifles that you built start to finish pretty much. Yep, it did. And I got to hand it to you, Kelly, because the... Making them for ourselves and to make our rifles allowed us with the technology of that stock, that company that we bought, allowed us to make a a very strong, lightweight stock that we liked, but to make it survive, we also had to sell to the public, and man, I got to hand it to you for being able to to make stocks for the public, Kelly, because it's you know, there's gunsmiths are few and far be, in between. Lots of assemblers out there, and everybody at once, everything pre-fitted and and fit perfect, and with all the different size of production actions and floor plates and things like that, it 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 just became to a point where I looked at this and said, "Hey, you know what? It's easier for me to just get McMillan stocks <laughs> and uh, um, take it from there than it is all this." This dust, dirt regulation, and, and our our strength is the metalwork, and so um, just stepped back from it and said, "How big are we going to get? How how thin can I spread myself?" And uh, just focus on the metalwork and use what's available from um, others like McMillan that can make us a, a good product. Well, I bought my first McMillan stock in 1978. So that was a 3-inch wide heavy varmint. Or no, light varmint stock. It was a... But, and I did a lot of winning with that. 
one of the things that I know that you can attest to, because we we continued to do business with each other long after you bought the stock company. So yep. we never let the fact that at one point we were competitors change how we did business. And that's the one thing I learned from my dad. He and Chet Brown and, and Lee Six were all friends. They all yep. shot side yep. by side on the benches and they all liked each other. And when, when my dad started the business, neither Chet nor Lee, either one, thought that that was a bad thing. They, they didn't let it affect their relationship. And we've always tried to do that. We we think there's room in, in this business for everybody out there. And to be perfectly honest, Tom Manners is a good example. He came up at a time when we were struggling to keep our customers happy because of our ex- extremely long lead times and he came in saying well I can I can make you stocks in 6 weeks and as long as he could do that he was taking customers from us and and I don't hold him responsible for that that was my fault cuz I yeah. didn't figure yeah. out how to keep my customers and you know he's in business today because there was a need and he he filled it of course his lead times now are longer than mine and his stocks are more expensive than mine but that's what he found out that happens when you get into mass production and you have to hire enough people to keep up and you, you know, it's, it's not as easy as people think, just like oh, you said, no, it sure you know, it's, make it's a few stocks capital, for your rifles. Yeah. It's yeah, capital yeah, that, intensive and people intensive. It's, it's, uh, and trying to keep up with the demand and always planning for the future. And it seems like I'm sure you've had the same thing happen, expand buildings, add more mold room and, and, and oven room and everything else, or us add more room, add more CNCs. And for a while, your, your, uh, lead time goes down and then people see, well, wow, now I can get them this time. And then the lead time grows right back out there and you're once again, all maxed out and, and got a three, four, five, six-month lead time. I don't spend a lot of time on this show talking about McMillan because I really love for the, the guests to have an opportunity to really promote what they do in themselves. But I'm going to take just a second because you mentioned it. Uh, I have 70 employees. We have 15,000 square feet, and we're pretty full. Um, I have seven CNC machines, and we produce about, a little over a thousand stocks a month. We'll, we'll do close to thirteen or or at thirteen thousand this year. So that gives people an understanding of of what we are when we talk about it. But nobody really realizes that until they walk in the door. And I've always told my dad, and he says, "Oh, you shouldn't be giving tours. You shouldn't let people see what you're doing." I said, "Dad." The very best way for us to ensure that people don't get into this business is to let them see what it's really like. <laughs> and so when they walk through the shop and they see how many people and how much time and how much handwork right. it is, and it's just not a production thing where they, you kick them out you know, today and tomorrow they go out the door, they don't want to get involved. So I, I think giving tours is a good thing for us. Two things well, people complain yeah, about. I enjoyed, I mean, after I bought, the stock company. I was out there, and Dick was out at. I was out at uh, the cactus, and Dick was out there, and said, "You sure you know what you're getting into?" And I said, "Well, I think so, but I don't know." He says, "Well, come on." And I said, "Well, you guys probably don't want me." And he said, "Come on." And he took Joan and I over there, and we went through the place, and you know, we did. We left there, and Joan said, 
what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> <laughs> but I always that always impressed me, Kelly. That yeah. that was you guys. Here I was going to be a competitor of yours, but you opened the doors and said, "Hey, come on in here and come come through." And it, it just that's good character. That it. Thanks, wonderful. I appreciate that. We got about four minutes left, and there's a couple of things I definitely want to make sure we we take the time to do. You heard that I was putting a a rifle together for um, youth shooters in the F class open um, shooting, and was going to have it as a loaner for any young kid who wants to come in and shoot. And when you heard that, you said, "Hey, can I get involved?" And and you sent me an action. I got to tell you, when I got that action, that that is one of the most beautiful pieces of work I've ever seen. Uh, you've got to be really proud about the. Uh, you have to feel about your work the way I do about mine. I think that we make the finest product there is available, and and you've got to feel real good about what you do, and and I think it's time that people start to learn how good a board and action really is. Oh, thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Yep, uh, me and the family. It's all family here. It's. Uh... We're we're pretty darn proud of them, and and there's a lot of ownership in putting them out there. It's uh, it it's two sons, a daughter, and a son-in-law, and the wife, and and I, and we try to keep it all going. Well, that's awesome. Do me a favor. Tell the listeners how they can find out more about Jim Borden and and all of your products. Okay, there's a couple places you can go. BordenRifles.com is our web page. It's got a description of the rifles and the actions and our primary focus is the actions. Or on Facebook, you can look me up, Jim Borden, or look up Borden Accuracy and uh, make contact with us there. We uh, try to respond within 24 hours to um, requests for quotes or information or to talk about our products. We're um, try to stay right on top of it. Great. Thanks for that. And I also want to take this last minute to say, um, I, I saw a photograph. You talked about wanting to do other things and you stepped away from competing. And I know you, you're into photography. I've seen some of your photos on Facebook. They were absolutely gorgeous. Your wife does a great job too. But when I saw that moose uh, on the edge of the river or lake, uh, I said, I, I want that. And when I got it, it even the way that it was um, not framed but set w- was really gorgeous. Thank her very much. It's it's prominently shown in, in my house up north and right next uh, underneath my, my moose that's hanging on the wall. It, it Just a terrific photograph, and, and I really enjoy all your photos. Don't stop posting them, okay? All right. Thanks, Kelly. Okay. Jim, thanks for being on the show. Sorry, we got to go now. I just want to... Um, thank all of our listeners for sticking with us. I had great guests today. Really enjoyed the show. It's a great Friday, so go out and have a good weekend, and we'll catch you next week on Voice America Sports Channel with Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.